Hey everybody, this is Will and you're listening to Two Man Congress. Okay, before we discuss what I want to discuss today, uh, slight announcement to make. Uh, it's really just a major big life change that I want to share, but I was accepted to law school and I will be attending Drake University School of Law uh, starting this uh, August and I'm really excited for it. But I just thought I would share that, and hopefully it doesn't affect anything that happens with uh, the podcast. I'm not anticipating that it will. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to plan on releasing episodes every other week instead of every week, uh, just to see how that fits with the schedule and to see how uh, if that works better with everything that we're trying to do uh, with Chad's schedule and with my schedule and making sure that we have enough time to study for the topics and prepare well to present good, proper material for everybody's benefit. But today I'm going to be talking about the Bill of Rights, and we're going to be providing an overview, and this is going to be a couple-part series, and the reason for that is because the Bill of Rights are extremely uh, expansive in what they cover, and there have been so many things that have happened with the Bill of Rights, that it's just too much to cover in one episode. But we are still going to be focusing on an overview in this multi-part series. So we are still going to be not going too in-depth, at least for the time being. Because when we do go really far in-depth, we spent four episodes on free speech, which is only one of like five parts of the First Amendment. So it's really a lot to just go in-depth right off the bat. So we're going to be focusing on an overview, making sure that you know what the Bill of Rights are, how they came about, and why they are important, and how they impact you personally. So the Bill of Rights came about shortly after the Constitution was ratified. And in fact, the Constitution would not have been ratified had there not been a promise of a Bill of Rights. There were several founding fathers who did not uh, believe that a Constitution was the right thing to do. And there were other founding fathers that believed that a Constitution was all that you needed. And some of those founding fathers that believed that the Constitution was not all the way there anticipated there to be a Bill of Rights. And this is called the Massachusetts Compromise, where if a Bill of Rights was not promised to be ratified in the first Congress after the ratification of the Constitution, then the states would refuse to ratify the Constitution. So in other words, a Bill of Rights needed to be promised in order for the Constitution to be ratified. And that's exactly what happened. So James Madison uh, was opposed to a Bill of Rights initially but un- it, because he felt that the Constitution was enough for to protect the rights of the people. He believed that the people, uh, the states wouldn't infringe on the rights and it was the federal government that you needed to worry about and the Constitution limited the powers that were given to the federal government while forming a governmental branch. So he didn't believe that the Bill of Rights was necessary but after the Constitution was ratified, He felt that it was a priority because the people found it to be a priority. 
So right away, he started drafting a Bill of Rights, which consisted of 17 amendments initially. And that was, well, it consisted of a lot more, but the House passed a joint resolution that contained 17 of the amendments that he initially put on. And these were defending the rights of the people, not just focusing on governmental changes or uh, the organization. And then the Senate, what they did is that they passed a joint resolution to consist of 12 of those uh, 17 that were approved in the House. So after they discussed and came up with a a couple of compromises, uh, President George Washington sent copies of the 12 amendments to be ratified by the states. Three-fourths of the state ratified 10 of those amendments, which are now known as the Bill of Rights. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like what we are sharing and if you want to support us, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, What Patreon is, it's a place where you can go and subscribe to some additional services where we provide our content early, uh, where you can participate, you can vote on things that we discuss about. Uh, You can even get pre-edits and Uh, things like that to where you get our content raw. And so there's a lot of advantages to being a patron because you have uh, this extra voice in what we share. So if you want to go ahead and support us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash twomancongress. That's spelled out T-W-O-M-A-N-C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S. Once again, that's spelled T-W-O-M-A-N-C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S. Yeah, we would love for you to be a part of the community. Okay, so what is, or what are, rather, the Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights are amendments to the Constitution that are designed to protect the rights of the people from federal government overreach. It's important to understand that this was designed for federal government overreach. Uh, The Bill of Rights actually did not pertain to the states uh, for uh, the longest time. Uh, It was actually as part of the 14th Amendment where the Bill of Rights became what is called incorporated uh, to apply to states. And so what that just means is the Supreme Court was able to find a reason in the 14th Amendment where the Bill of Rights would apply not only to the federal government, but it would also apply to state governments. So before then, state governments could infringe on some of those rights uh, within certain means or without any repercussions. And after that, after incorporation, uh, states were limited just as the federal government was limited to ensure that the rights of the people described in the amendments are preserved. So let's go ahead and discuss in the remainder of this episode the first five Amendments. So the First Amendment text states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or the press, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Okay, so this just lists out things that the government can't uh, infringe on. Religion, prohibiting the exercise of religion, abridging freedom of speech, press, 
or right of the people to peaceably assemble, and then also protects the right of the people to petition the government for redress of grievances, which is a fancy way of saying uh, to protect the right to protest. And there have been tons of questions relating to each of these. Like I said earlier, we've spent four episodes just focusing on the freedom of speech, but also that talks about the freedom of speech, the press, uh, the right to assemble, all these things we could spend a lot more time focusing on because there have been tons of Supreme Court cases where questions have arisen concerning these rights that are protected in the amendment. So the Second Amendment states, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So this amendment, too, brings a lot of questions because there are two clauses in this amendment. The first one states, uh, protects the right for well-regulated militia, and the acting clause is the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Now, the reason why the Second Amendment is such a debate is because it doesn't state any of the reasons why the people should be allowed to keep and bear arms other than maintaining a well-regulated militia. The thing is, now we don't have a well-regulated militia. Uh, We have an army uh, that is maintained uh, by the government. And so militias are no longer a thing, and people wonder if uh, the right to keep and bear arms should continue to be protected because there are no longer militias. And the Supreme Court has actually addressed this question, uh, saying that, yes, the people have the right to keep and bear arms still because uh, the militia is just given as an example of why uh, people have the right to keep and bear arms. And there are other reasons, perhaps, why people can keep and bear those arms, which includes the right to self-defense. So the Third Amendment has a lot less questions involved in it. Uh, It states, No soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in any time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Just means the government can't force soldiers to live in your house. The Fourth Amendment states the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures should not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So this amendment discusses, it protects the right of the people against unreasonable searches and seizures, and then discusses what warrants a reasonable search and seizure so to obtain a warrant there needs to be probable cause uh, supported by oath or affirmation which means that it needs to be uh, signed by a judge and it needs to be describing the place that's supposed to be searched and the persons or things to be seized the fifth amendment is really the first of several rights that uh, protect those who are accused of crime So, it states, No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when in the actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be put 
to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor to be deprived of the liberty or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in this. Uh, the Fifth Amendment is most commonly associated with the Miranda rights, uh, where the arresting officer needs to say anything that you can say will be used against you in a court of law. And they need to make sure that their rights are read to them before they uh, subject themselves to criminal jeopardy. It, it also talks about uh, being tried in the military. It talks about uh, being tried before a grand jury. Uh, not being allowed to be tried for the, twi uh, for the same offense twice. It's called double jeopardy. Uh, and making sure you have due process of law and ensuring that private property isn't taken without just compensation. So those are the first five amendments. In our next episode, we'll go over the next five amendments uh, through Amendment 10 uh, to finish covering what the Bill of Rights are. But we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will uh, see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.